I, uh, on Sundays, I wake up at 6 a.m. so I can be here, get everything set up, have everybody's stuff ready so that I can go in my office and then really comb through, pray through my notes, and then I can finish that in enough time to be out here when people start arriving so that I'm not like one of those guys that's in my office and you never can never see me. Um, <clears throat> I woke up this morning, and I never sleep through my alarm. I did, and it was 7.45. And my rhythm is to get up at 6, so I slept in an hour and 45 minutes past when I was supposed to. And uh, it has been a whirlwind ever since, and I'll tell you why that happened This has been a really crazy weekend in our household. On Friday, my daughter lost um, her her pet tortoise, Teeny. He was in the house, he got out, and he's he's just, he disappeared, you can't find him. And these tortoises, they, you don't think they move fast, but the tortoise and the hare, the reason they tell that story is that tortoises don't stop moving. They keep going. So yes, they never sprint, but honestly, in one, in 24 hours, he could get from my house on Gary Street to Sandy River, to to like the Sandy River, no problem. They can go that far. As far as a man can walk in a day, a tortoise can do the same. So we're scanning everywhere. We're getting, we we look at the neighbor's house, they're looking, and Teeny, he's famous on, in our apartment structure. Everybody knows kids are, oh, Teeny's out, and they love Teeny. He's a little, little box turtle about the size of a grapefruit. And uh, he's, he's just a, a precious little guy, so everybody's looking for him. They can't, we can't find him. I make posters. I put them around town. We put it on Facebook. We put it on the next door app. We're looking for this tortoise. Let us know if you see him. And um, we go to bed that night, and it's stressful. You know, I mean, we, we, we look after this weak little tortoise. Yeah, he's got armor, but you look at his little neck, and you're like, he is vulnerable. So we protect him all the time, and he's gone, and we're stressed out. And I get a call. It's at midnight, and this guy says are you the person with the tortoise? And I'm just like, oh, thank God, they found Teeny. And he goes, he's dead. And he was being very rude on the phone. He, says, he said, he's dead, he's, been, he's crushed, and he was hit by a car, I think, and I'm trying to get the details. Like, in shock as I'm hearing this, I'm trying to think of what am I going to tell my daughter? And I'm, I'm trying to get the details out of him, and, and the details are hard, and it sounded like he thought it looked like he was crushed, but it, it appeared that maybe some teens at the park stomped him to death and were just in shock about this because this is a tortoise that when he falls 12 inches off the couch everyone goes oh no teeny and just this picture of him being killed is just horrible and it puts this that kind of dread you don't feel too often in life but it's like a a, a block of ice in your stomach and it's just i get off the phone and elena's it was was next to me we were in bed and so she overheard it because the phone was loud enough and we're just both in shock and we were told it was, it was at Meinig Park, so Elena wanted to go get his body, so she got in the car and drove, and didn't get out of the car because Meinig Park isn't the safest at night, on a Friday night, and so she drove and, and looked for him and couldn't find him anywhere. As soon as sun was up, and we, we had no sleep on Friday night, thus the sleeping in today, no sleep, and as soon as sun is up, she gets in the car, she goes down uh, parks, and she walks all over the park, and she, she can't find his body and couldn't find blood, couldn't find anything. And so I, she came back and we thought if, if someone had come across roadkill, they might have scooped it up, thrown it into the woods and it would be hard to find him. But I thought if there's no blood, I'm not gonna take the posters down. And I'm not gonna take the social media posts down because there's, there's a chance, albeit small, that that was a prank call and that the tourist wasn't killed. And so we're just, we're, but it was, it was credible enough, and it seemed that he could have gotten hit, and that they, he, he, for some reason, always walked in that direction, so it seemed like the direction he would go in. So we told Victoria that it, we think that the tortoise got killed. Someone told us he was killed, but we haven't been able to find his body. And it was, it was terrible. And so yesterday, no sleep, we're 
anxious, we're leaving, and we get a message, and someone says, we found a tortoise in our back garden. And, and you don't realize the stupid little tortoise, how much you love it until you get that message. And we, it, it was that thing where, like, they messaged us, we messaged them back for 30 minutes, we're not getting anything. So we sent her probably 10 messages, called her twice on the Facebook call app thing. So she finally gets back to us, and she video calls us, and she goes, I'm going to video call you so you can see, and she turns the camera, and there he is. And it's, it's Artini. It's a little Russian tortoise. He's got the chip out of his shoulder right there, just as we know he's got it. We couldn't believe it. And the whole car, we're in the car. Uh, we're heading to a birthday party, and everybody just is shouting in the car, and we drove to go get him. And uh, I looked all over my car for something to give her. Her name's Brianna. Pray for blessings for Brianna. Um, I gave her a $50 Uber Eats gift card I've had since forever, so she's got that now. But it was just this amazing moment, and you just, you bring him back, and uh, you just, you can't believe you got him. You know, we're looking at, we're going to have to buy a new tortoise. Tortoises live for like 50 years, so they're a very expensive pet. They're like two, $300. And so we're thinking, we're going to have to buy a replacement tortoise. And, and uh, I remember thinking, man, I would pay, I'd pay $1,000 if I could buy Teeny back. And now he's back. And he's in his cage, we, and, and everybody was so excited. And I, it, I was thinking about the phrase, you don't miss, you don't, you don't what was it? Yeah, you don't miss something until it's gone, right? And it's very true. You don't miss something until it's gone, because if you appreciate it while you have it, you cherish it. It wouldn't say that you miss it. I don't want to live my life in such a way that uh, I don't cherish the time I've got now. With, with uh, you know, I'm talking about using noise-canceling earbuds just to write a sermon because the kids are so crazy. One day they'll be in school and I'll have more silence than I'm getting now, but I don't want to not cherish this time I've got now. And our, we've been looking at this pilgrimage, the, the, the pilgrimage to Zion, to the, to the Temple Mount, and these 15 songs about the songs of ascent. And the Jewish mind going to Zion was always up. Even if you were at higher altitude, you could be leaving Mount Everest at its peak and going to Zion, and you would say, I'm now going up to Zion. And so a sense going up, being with the Lord, where he set up his meeting place. And our pilgrim today does something interesting, that he doesn't want to be at a spot where he doesn't cherish what he has in his hands. But with God, how can you miss it when it's gone, when he's never gone? So he does something interesting. To cherish and to respect how wonderful it is, he plays a game of what-ifs. What if God had not been with Israel? What if God had not stood with us in our time of need? And this game of what ifs is the mode he uses to spiritually find the incredible value that it is to have God in our lives. Psalms 124 in the Songs of Ascent says this. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us, They would have swallowed us alive when their anger flared up against us. The flood would have engulfed us, and the torrent would have swept over us. The raging waters would have swept us away. Praise be to the Lord who has not let us be torn by their teeth. The way it starts, it starts in almost like uh, the, the singer would say it first, and then let Israel say, and then the rest of the company would sing it. Whether this was on the way to Zion, these songs written to be sang during the pilgrimage, when they arrive at the pilgrimage. But that double start, it almost invites us to answer that same kind of question for ourselves. If it had not been God with you in your life up until now, finish the sentence, what would it be? Had it not been for God who stood with me, where would I be? 
complete that sentence in your head what it would be because that is a great way to recenter your life on a love for God and a love for the work that he does. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Always pouring out good. And he doesn't change, doesn't back off from that pursuit. And what's interesting is that God's faithfulness happens to be a pitfall for our own gratitude. If God were ever to go missing, that we could miss him or disappear, maybe then once it's gone, we would realize how much we missed it. But because we don't lose him and because he doesn't go away, it takes us appreciating what he is there with us and giving us. There have been times that, uh, that I've been unfaithful trying to live things my own way and find happiness by my own methods. And it is a godless way to think and live. And I find that the joy of communion with God is gone. But the reality is God is never gone. And his goodness doesn't go away. When it says that every good and perfect gift comes down from above, the context of that passage is referring to the human race, not the church, not just Israel, the human race. God is still good even in those hard moments where we're not paying attention to him. When he seems gone to us, his mercy is still there. He still comforts. He still gives favor. He gives protection. He gives us life every day. The fact is you just cannot shake his goodness. So if we want to cherish God, we have to cherish what it is while we hold it in our hands, and that takes some spiritual discipline, and I honestly think a game of what-ifs can be very effective. What if God hadn't stood with you? What if God wasn't with you in the years that you've become who you are today in those hard times and in the dark, shadowy moments? It's a great Christian discipline to be grateful for the things that you have. And this, is, this, this would be, this goes back to Quakers. When they were making oats, they were thinking to themselves, be grateful for what you have. Gratitude goes back to Augustine. He wrote about it, grateful for what you have. And then I, and I'll tell you this, we must be thankful foremost for the greatest thing that we have. And that's God himself. God himself in our life is the thing that we should be most grateful for. Because if his friendship wasn't enough, his, his works abound and they astound us. See, there's a lot to worry about in this world. There's a lot to worry about in his world, where he speaks about the enemies, things coming against them, the, the, the real enemies around them. I think we, we sometimes don't appreciate how practical of a need that was, that he's being poetic about floodwaters, and he's using poetic analogies about storms. He's being very literal about warfare and enemies. That is a real everyday practicality for them. In fact, there's a, there's a scene about warfare in David's day, and it says when it was time for the kings to come out for war, as if it was like just season. Spring would come, winter would thaw, and everybody would go get their swords as if it was the Olympics, and they would go to war for whatever stupid reason they could pick. And it would go on and on. I heard something the other day where uh, military analysis estimate that for at least two more years, the conflict in Ukraine is going to continue. The people that are there are going to continue to have uh, Russian invaders for at least two more years. And for them, it will be like it was this last year, where it slowed down in winter, and then it thawed, and then it came to warfare again. And for our pilgrimage, thinking about very practical needs, the things that God did to protect them from practical things. And the worries abound. It could be Philistines today. It could be Assyrians tomorrow. Warfare always happens. There's always raids. Had God not stood with us in those times, things would have been different, he says. 
There's a lot of things to worry about and a lot of things to distract him. But sometimes when we pray only about the problems, we miss out on a fuller relationship with God. And I'm not saying we shouldn't pray when problems arrive. You should pray every time a problem arrives. But the spiritual life of God calls you to, the kind of relationship to be a, not a ward, not a, not a piece of his property, but a part of the family, part of, his, uh, part of his lineage to be one of his sons and daughters, is to have a relationship with God that's greater than God as your problem solver. But that we experience him greatly and fully. Our life must go beyond those things and, to, and um, see God more than just a means to an end. If we pray only when there's problems, problems become the main thing on our life, and God becomes a means to an end. Pilgrim wants to worship God, pure and simple. To sort the troubles in his mind, and his attention will be focused on just God alone. So he uses one of the most powerful shots to trouble and the, the worries of the mind that a person can have. To remember the past, to remember what God has done in the past, the enemies that he has defeated, the things that he has laid aside, the way he took care of practical needs, and to remember that he doesn't change like shifting shadows. He never changes. If he did it before, he will do it again. There's this picture that's in here, and I think it's worth talking about in verse 7. It says, uh, we have escaped like a bird from the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken, and we have escaped. There's this fun word that uh, is, is in all my theological books, and it's just so fun, motif. Looks like motif. I don't know if you guys read motif a ton, but motif means a certain thing that keeps coming up in storytelling. A certain, it could be a turn of phrase, a certain theme. This would be a turn of phrase. We hear the term Fowler's snare a lot, and it comes up in many psalms, and I don't know if I fully understood it until this week. The Fowler's snare has certain emotional images, things that really connected with people. I read about a tablet that had on, uh, it was two-sided. The, the Mesopotamians believed that things happened in eternity, reflected on earth, so gods would war, and then their nations below would mimic whatever war that was, and whoever's god was greater would win in the heavens, and then their people would win down below. So they had this tablet where it showed, uh, it was about these people came and invaded the Mesopotamians, and they were, the Mesopotamians saw them as challenging them and killing their people and taking their crops. And so on the eternal side, it shows these gods dragging up birds in a dragnet and catching them all up, and they're, they're all twisted and contorted and caught in this net, and you flip it over, and it shows the Mesopotamians killing and throwing their enemies into mass graves. And it's supposed to be the same picture, what happened in the, in, in the ethereal and what happened on earth. And we get this picture of how people felt about this image, that the Fowler's snare has these connections of death and of, of mass graves, and critically of this, of people getting what they deserved, as, as, as when, when I think of a mass grave, I do not think of justice, and I doubt you do either. I think of injustice. That's immediately what comes to my mind. But for, for this picture of the, of the mass grave, of the, of the, of the, of the uh, Fowler's snare, it comes down to how Fowler's snares were set up. Nets would be laid out. They would put sticks and twigs so that you couldn't see the net. This is the context of how foolish it is to lay a net out before the birds. Have you ever heard that phrase? And then they would bait it. And then the, the hunters would hide, and these birds would come, and they would start eating, and some would fly away, and some would stay. And when the hunter felt like they got the most they possibly could, they would drag the net as fast as they could. And if you ever caught a bird, they look like they're dead as soon as you catch them. I've never seen an animal give up on its life as fast as a bird. You, you catch it, and he's like, oh, no, I'm dead. Like, he just gives up. 
And then you throw him and he flies away. I know it seems weird to catch a bird. I did the other day and I really found that. It was in my parents' house. Who catches a bird with their bare hands? I do. He was in the house and I just got it like baseball. I grabbed him. It was amazing. And he died immediately and then was resurrected when he flew outside. It was the weirdest thing. But it's a picture of people getting what they deserve. When I, when I read Fowler's snare in, in, in this passage and other passages, I don't think of the fact of this is people who were, who, were, who were they were where they shouldn't be, eating bait they shouldn't have been eating. They, they landed when they shouldn't have landed. They were, they were at the wrong place at the wrong time, and it was their fault. Every time we read about God delivering people from the Fowler's snare, it's actually a more powerful image than we often think because we miss the fact that God is delivering them from something they're guilty of something that they should get. Sometimes the mouse gets away with the cheese. Sometimes he gets killed. This is the way they thought of it. To be delivered from the Fowler's snare is a picture of incredible mercy. It meant that uh, afterward they leave thinking about the overwhelming disaster that could have been theirs. Have you ever had a close brush with death? Uh, I... I don't know if I've ever had like a real close brush with death, but if you ever have, I hear people say that you just have this sense of like, that could have been it. And at least until you forget about how close your brush with death was, you kind of get this sense of all my days are borrowed. But it's so powerful to be delivered from the snare that you got yourself into, to be taken out, that when the time of judgment came, you weren't caught up with the other birds, you were delivered. I find that it's an amazing picture that grace is our peace. That you don't have to be perfect for God to deliver you in trouble. The fact that God is gracious towards us, the reason why we can rest the tension in our shoulders and in our neck and we can can be at peace knowing that I don't have to do this perfectly. Have you ever had a week like I've had times where you think, I really need God's help right now, but after this week I am in no place to ask God for any favors whatsoever? In moments like that, remember the picture being delivered from the fowler's snare. Out of the trap that you got yourself into, the bait you so eagerly took. Because every moment, even in the throes of of messing everything up, or in the height of being in Zion with the Lord, every moment of our life is the right moment to turn to God. Every single moment. That is the right one. It is the now. So if God is with us and he is our hope, then I would hope that we could find ways to live richly with him, to draw close to him and to seek him, particularly in times of sorrow and stress when we want to be separated, when we want to pull away, because we learn things about God when he comes through for us. Things that we call back, as the psalmist is calling back today, if God wasn't with us, these things would have happened. And this, as you read this, you see references to things like the Red Sea being swept away by the torrents. We see times that they've been cornered and God has delivered his people They learned something about the God who delivered them because they cried out when they needed him. I think the disciples knew Jesus as a lot of things, a teacher, someone who could multiply bread and fish and do miracles. But it wasn't until one terrifying afternoon that they knew him as one who could command storms. And it was because when the storm came and they were on the water and the torrents rose up against them, in their terror, they woke him up and they asked for his help and they cried out to him. You'll know your Savior when you cry out to him and help. Such a powerful thing in in Scripture about knowing 
the name of God, particularly in the Old Testament, it was far more than knowing God theologically. It was knowing who to go to, not knowing the what of God, knowing the who, which is why this closes so beautifully and powerfully. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. They know him because he has delivered them in times of trouble. There's a video that I uh, had thought of this week, and it's about being delivered in times of trouble. I want to play that real quick. There's sound, guys, so make sure you're ready to unmute the computer, but we're going to play this video. Um. That sucks. I mean, that's, people are going to lose prizes. Father, please help us. Please help us to be safe. I'm thankful for Jeremy and his willingness to be brave. Um, sometimes in those dark moments there's almost a sense of futility as silly as it is when we were when we were waiting for our, we're looking for the tortoise we got the call we thought maybe it's a prank call we got these images of him being killed I, I, remember, I was down checking the mail and I just looked up the street down the street just wanting to see that stupid little walking rock moving along and I, I, I remember praying God please bring the tortoise home and I remember feeling the moment it was such a futile prayer like, I'll just try this. And we've been praying nonstop, and um, that was the last time I prayed before we got the call that he had been found. And there's those times when it gets so bad, and I think that's one of the things that's amazing about that video is that it seems like, uh, especially when she's praying and she actually gets so afraid, she has, she has a moment she has to gasp for air when the sparks hit the windshield and she can't continue on anymore. She tries to fight her way through it, and then it looks like it's going to get clear, and then it looks like it gets immediately worse again and then immediately they're out. There's just times you can't predict what is going to happen. But I can say this, whatever your storm is, God is definitely with you in it. And one day you're going to say of this same time, had God not been with me, it would have gone very differently. Had God not stood beside me. And he's with you graciously. He's going to keep being there. He is the one that delivers. But there's just certain times that uh, we don't appreciate the greatness of what that is. We don't, we don't put our weight down in the promise of that, that our own tension can just relax for a moment. That we could go to God and be in his presence just purely and simply, not having to see every problem sorted, but can simply trust God sorted them in the past, he'll sort them again. And even though right now it looks really smoky and really flamey, and I don't know what's going to happen, God will do what he's done before. And it's in that place of peace as we remember the things he's done in the past that puts us at enough peace that we can experience the fullness of God. 
I think of my answer. Had God not been on my side, what would have life been like? And the things that came up. And I realized he really is, in that moment, been the God of my life. A title that he's definitely earned. He's been Lord. He's been source. He's been Savior, forgiver. He's been cleanser. And I find that as I reflect on that past, I want to be with him all the more and more. As we ascend to the meeting place that God has set up for us, it's important that we would be in sync with where God is. That just because troubles look bad, just because we can think and invent the ways that our enemies are finally going to get us this time, that we could stop and reflect and remember, God delivered me in the past. He will do so again. I don't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be flawless. I found myself in a fowler's snare before, deserving to be caught up in the trap just like everyone else, and God delivered me then. I'm still within the bounds. I'm still within his boundaries. I'm still within the place where he can reach me because his gracious arm reaches far into my trouble. Can go into zip codes far beyond Zion and find me there and bring me back. I want to pray for us today. God, I ask that as we reflect, that your Holy Spirit all day would be helping us reflect on the history of our own lives. Had God not been with me, in high school, had God not been with me in the years after, if God had not been with me when I hit rock bottom, if God had not been with me when we nearly got a divorce, when if God had not been with me when I didn't know how to parent my child, and that we would remember that you had been. You were with us in those moments. You helped us through those times. God, give us the faith that even though right now we drive through fire and smoke, that you are with us and you will bring us out the other side and let us inherit the peace of that, that in peace we could be ascended to where you are, that at peace and in sync with you and in your greatness and how you see the world, Lord, would our heartbeat beat at this pace of yours and not at ours? Would our blood pressure match the pressure of God and not ourselves? Would our peace, would our tension be like that of the Lord? Thank you, God. Thank you for the amazing things you've done in our past. If this room is full of testimonies, Lord, let us testify to ourselves about what you've done in the past. We thank you, God. Amen.